0: Breaking Badness. Today we discuss more doom and Zoom for the video conferencing industry. Researcher discovers new vulnerability. Next up, holy mackerel, Amazon accounts no longer in their prime after targeted phishing kit. And finally, the Karma Initiative. Sensitive app download goes awry. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness episode number twenty, recorded on july fifteenth, twenty nineteen. I'm your co-host Kelsey. I'll take that burger. Well pun, LaBelle. With me, co-host Emily needs more hoodies hacker. And last but not least, Tim, my karma ran over my dogma helming. Oh, it's not super long. <laughs> no, it's just
1: Ugh. Actually it's not sad. It seems like it should be sad, but you I would rather have karma kind of Ahead of dogma, so I think that's that's not as bad as it might sound.
2: It's an overall positive message there. That's
1: right.
0: <laughs> that's good. We all need more of that in our lives. Thank you, Tim. A
1: little sweetness and light, sure.
0: <laughs> Join Tim after for a brief meditation. <laughs>
1: Cue up that New Age relaxation music.
0: <laughs>
2: Followed by ASMR.
1: With Emily.
0: I could do that. <laughs> there we go.
2: <laughs> I will resist the
0: urge right now, though. I think we should do that after summer camp. Mm-hmm. As our podcast, a relaxation podcast, yeah, So yeah. everybody can. I think they'll recover. That need <laughs> sounds like
1: an excellent idea.
0: <laughs> Which, speaking of leading up, we should all provide our um, advice on surviving. So think about that, you two, and come back to us next week, folks, and we'll we'll get that going. So earlier this week, security researcher Jonathan Lightshue revealed that an attacker could force a Zoom user into joining a meeting by simply tricking them into clicking on a link. Therefore, if a user hadn't set up an option to turn off video, when joining a meeting, the attacker could access their video feed. So this has been tracked currently under CVE 2019-13450. So um, Tim, before we dissect the impact of the vulnerability, can you provide a timeline of the, the vulnerability's disclosure, the research, the proof of concept, et cetera?
1: Yeah, I'll go into all of that. And at the beginning, I'm going to say that it's also, it's actually a little bit worse than just what you mentioned up front because not only could the vulnerability um, cause the victim to be unknowingly joined to a video call that they had no intention of joining. But uh, there was also a method of doing a, basically DOSing an individual computer, a victim computer by using some of the same aspects of this vulnerability. So there was really a lot going on here. They managed to pack quite a bit of potential damage doing into one uh, ill-conceived implementation. So, That's a great
0: point. Otherwise it'd basically be like a, the video conferencing version of a butt dial almost. That's right. A call right. you weren't trying to make. That's right. A conference you didn't want to join. <laughs>
1: Apparently, so I butt-dialed my dad yesterday, and the weird thing is, I didn't even know it on my phone. Like, there was no evidence. It was like a total ghost butt-dial. Ghost but, butt uh, dial Paranormal, I think.
2: I think that needs Emily? to be investigated. I'm looking at Emily Hacker as I say you that. You know you want to do it. I'm already on the case. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. So, anyway, back to this Zoom vulnerability. Um, this vulnerability didn't sit down too long before it was addressed, but, well, it depends on your definition of too long. It was, it was not like some of these vulnerabilities that are years and years old. On the other hand, there are still some frustratingly long durations in the timeline of this thing considering the implications of the issue. So Jonathan responsibly disclosed this issue to Zoom on March 26th of this year, although he had actually requested via Twitter to get hold of someone at Zoom a couple weeks before that. Importantly, in his report to them, he also described a quick fix that he suggested Zoom could implement to mitigate the problem. Unfortunately, the process of getting an eventual fix was anything but quick. It was very slow. In April, there were a couple of back and forths with folks at Zoom, um, as well as with security teams at Chromium and Mozilla, who had some suggestions of their own uh, for Zoom on this. The next significant milestone in all of this was a meeting to decide how to deal with it, and that was on June 11th. So for those of you who aren't Rain Man, that's at the T-minus 18 days mark from the 90-day responsible disclosure window. What the heck was going on during May? Who knows? But what we know was not happening in May was a complete and effective fix to the vulnerability. At any rate, finally on June 21st, Zoom reported that the vulnerability was fixed, which actually turned out not to be true. The, uh, there was at least a partial fix that, um, that Jonathan confirmed on the 24th, which was that original quick fix that he had suggested way back in March. But the whole story doesn't seem to have resolved until even more recently than that.
0: Interesting. And I think it might be helpful for our listeners, too, if you translate the timeline in the age of Abraham Lincoln. Did you?
1: Oh, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Abraham Lincoln would have been like, I don't know, a teenager when this was reported. No, no, <laughs> not quite. A 200 teenager, maybe. 200. I've forgotten to keep my Lincoln math uh, closely at hand.
0: That would truly make you a rain man, I think. Yes, it would.
1: Certainly would. That's my new Certainly, definition. Definitely would. Certainly, certainly, definitely would make a <laughs> rain man.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for that timeline, Tim. There was quite a bit in there to unpack. So um, let's move on to uh, some other details from what Jonathan had uncovered. Um, And he he noticed quite a few red flags from the start as a researcher. So what are some of those warning signs that initially gave him the tech heebie-jeebies?
1: Yeah, and I want to clarify, there were warning signs to him as a researcher as he started digging into this code. And I'll come back to that in a second. But the thing... That makes this a big deal is there were not any obvious red flags for the average user or even really for that matter, relatively tech savvy or security conscious users. You basically had to do some digging around in the command line in order to see whether you had this little shadow web server running on your machine, which is an easy enough check to do, but you have to know what to look for before you start looking for it.
0: Schrodinger's vulnerability. Can you walk through the actual proof of concept, any major takeaways from Jonathan's work there?
1: Yeah. Basically, in looking at the Zoom Mac client, Jonathan discovered that if you ever installed Zoom on a Mac, you had a web server running on port 19.421. Not something we necessarily would have assumed. So if you want to pause the podcast and check right now for yourself, by the way, just run lsof-i-19.421, and you can go ahead and do that. And uh, if you haven't gotten the patch yet, you might want to do that because before it was patched, uninstalling Zoom did not uninstall the little secret web server. Sad trombone sound, right? Anyway, as Jonathan was looking into this, he determined reasonably that having a web server running on your machine with an undocumented API and that any site you you visit could interact with was maybe a bad thing. And he noticed odd things about how it interacted with a Zoom meeting link. Like, it loads an image file whose dimensions, size of the actual image, correspond to various error and status codes. That's a pretty clever hack, but it's also one of the many red flags he found. Anyway, to try to make a long story a little bit shorter, he explored the various undocumented parameters with this local host web server, and ultimately he was able to determine that embedding a very simple line of code, say in an iframe, could allow an attacker to silently join a victim to a video call with their video and audio turned on.
0: Oh. I don't think a sad trombone does it.
1: No, that doesn't. More like a shriek noise. (laughs) Like, just let's put this in perspective. When I join, like, I'm always paranoid about this. When I'm joining a meeting, even when I'm starting it, I'm like, did I hit the mute button? Did I hit Mm -hmm. the camera button? I
2: always turn off the video. And then, like, I, on my old laptop, had a camera cover, so it wasn't a big deal, but I haven't put one on this one yet. And I will, like, hold my thumb over the camera when I start the meeting. Right,
1: just to be super extra.
2: Even if I'm, like, at work, You know, like, I don't want you to see my face. Right. So, So, like, kind of creepy.
1: Yeah. So uh, having the victim automatically having their video and audio turned on, yeah, not a good thing.
0: And how did Zoom respond to this uh, initially? And also, how did other companies like Apple respond?
1: Well, first of all, you saw, you know, when I talked about the timeline earlier, it seemed like it was kind of an agonizingly long period of time. And, And as a continuation to the story, Zoom's responses weren't, very encouraging, especially in the beginning. Um, for example, one of the first suggestions that Jonathan made way back in March was that they stopped giving the meeting host the control over whether the participants had audio and video enabled when joining. And Zoom was resistant to that, even in the face of this huge vulnerability. They did end up changing it, but only after the vulnerability had been in the wild for an unacceptably long time. As of July 9th, they promised to have a full patch out by the next day. It appears that they did, in fact, release it. You asked about Apple. Apple took a kind of a more straightforward approach. They rolled out a silent update, which seems also to have been around the 9th or 10th of July, as far as I can tell, that uninstalled the little undocumented web server from Zoom. Um, Now, that was only a partial fix uh, without the full fix from Zoom.
0: Thanks again, Tim, for going in depth. And I think... The next question, naturally, is just how can how can organizations learn from this vulnerability?
1: Yeah, this is kind of a tough one. Uh, unfortunately, this story lays bare an uncomfortable truth about security and commercial convenience products, which is that you're at the mercy of implementation choices that are made by others, and sometimes they're going to make poor choices. The most conservative stance that an organization can take, and some organizations do do this, but it's it's quite rare. Which is that you allow only a standard suite of applications that have passed a uh, an extensive security review. Most real world organizations can't do that. You know, if you're like I don't know the U.S. Navy or something like that, you can probably do that. If you're most commercial organizations, that's kind of beyond what's actually practical. So, um, and not only that. You know, Zoom is a fairly well-known video conferencing tool that lots of legit organizations and users use. It's not like this is uh, some sketchy thing that's sideloaded while you were busy torrenting movies or something like that. So, you know, even the admonition of patching your sh- <clears throat> stuff <Malware>. uh, <laughs> seems like kind of lame advice here. Uh, if you had really good web filtering, potentially that might have reduced the risk to some extent, like but most web filters honestly might not have caught those uh, couple of lines of code that were all it took um, to enable this exploit so um, the You know, probably one of the big takeaways is that you do need to patch. Obviously, make sure you got that Apple update if you're a Mac person. Make sure you got the update from Zoom. Um, Now, at least if you try to uninstall Zoom, it should uninstall everything and not leave the little bonus web server behind. Um, But um, there isn't a... I can't give a piece of advice that would, if followed, would completely you know, protect somebody against something like this in the future, except the advice that one of our very wise uh, IT staff does have for everyone, which is basically that no one should ever connect to the internet at all for any reason.
2: <laughs> Toss your laptop into the sun and you will be protected into from this the particular sun. vulnerability. <laughs> there you go. That's actionable. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> well, that
0: dovetails really well into the the hoodie rating. And just to give a quick reminder, we try to do this every few episodes, our hoodie rating is on a scale of 1 to 10. Actually, there's no real scale. I'd say 10 is the highest possible situation that we're dealing with. And, and that scale is sliding, but really we're trying to give folks a sense of, should you still be listening to the podcast and sprinting to check your command line <laughs> for what Tim had pointed out as an example? Or is this uh, just... Sort of something to be slightly aware of, etc. So that that ten range is probably st- stop listening and start actioning. Um, so Tim, with that in mind, what what would your hoodie rating be for this um, this Zoom vulnerability?
1: Yeah, this has there are sort of two po- two parts to how I think about this, and one of them is uh, a high number of hoodies um, for the fact that this was something that was not. Necessarily easily detectable. It was not patched quickly uh, after it was responsibly disclosed and it had a potentially very unwanted effect. That would put it at, I don't know, an eight or something um, on my scale. On the other hand, there are worse things that could happen than joining a video call uh, unbeknownst to you. If it happened to you, it probably feels hard to think of something that would be a lot worse than that it i mean don't get me wrong that's that sucks that's flat out very bad um it was not rce um it was not total ownage of your machine so that mitigates to some extent but i'm still you know i'm at least at like six hoodies on this
2: what are you thinking emily i was going with the same um kind of back and forth struggle that tim has had here is if you think of it from one perspective it is really bad on an individual user um level almost from kind of like a even if you think of it not from like a espionage or like our traditional kind of like corporate standpoint but if you think of it from like a stalking standpoint oh yeah like it gets real bad real fast that's right and i am very uncomfortable with how it can be used in that kind of sense. But if you do think about it on our, the way we normally rate things in hoodies is kind of more, I think, from like a, okay, I'm a business owner. How is this going to affect my business? I think that risk is relatively low. And I think that's where some of the confusion with the, I don't want to use the word hype because I think it was justified hype in this case, but some of the confusion with the hype came where people were like, oh my God, this is horrible. And then other people like on Twitter or whatever were like, okay, but is it though? It's like really not that bad. And it's like, you're right. Maybe you're, you know, Corporate secrets aren't going to be lost because of this vulnerability. but
1: Unless you wrote, you know, like the password to all your corporate servers on the whiteboard that's behind you while you're being unknowingly joined to a video call.
0: So I think we should move on here to our next article. Holy mackerel, the fish. Amazon accounts no longer in their prime after targeted phishing kit. On the day that we're recording this podcast, it's actually one of two prime days for Amazon. Is it not, Tim?
1: I believe that it is, yes,
0: real missed opportunity, and why is that, Tim
1: Well, as we all know, fifteen is not a prime number, and no. this is the fifteenth. they is could not. have just waited to, however, days. I will point out two that days.
2: the day that this podcast is released will be the real prime day, and that it is a prime number,
1: all right, well, real we'll prime day,
2: that. you cannot get sales for it though, <laughs> who needs revenue?
1: who cares? It's math integrity
0: yes. <laughs> so. A new version of the 16-Shop Fishing Kit has been observed in the wild, Qnat Geo Music, with more than 200 URLs aimed at collecting login information from Amazon customers. So, Emily, it sounds like this isn't the first we're hearing of 16-Shop. So, for starters, what, what is it and who are some of its uh, previous victims?
2: Yeah. So 16 Shop is a fishing kit, which basically just means it's a collection of tools to make it really easy for a a wannabe fisher to launch a fishing page. Um, There's a lot of different fishing kits out there, and a lot of them can be purchased or obtained by individuals who may not be as tech savvy, who, um, once they get their hands on these, only need to tie it maybe to their domain of choice or to some other uh, small criteria in order to quickly um, launch their own phishing page that can then lead them to be able to easily grab credentials or whatever information that particular phishing kit um, grabs. So this phishing kit in particular, 16 Shop, made noise starting late last year by spoofing the Apple login page. Um, The victims of that campaign were primarily located in the U.S. and in Japan, and they would receive phishing emails that contained a PDF that was telling them basically that there was... Uh, like, unexpected login activity in their Apple account and to click this link in, located within the PDF to verify their account information. So they would click the link, it would bring them to the phishing site, and then it would steal their credentials along with um, credit card and other personal information such as shoe name, size. address, shoe size. Definitely shoe size. Um, that was actually the first thing. It, it That's why it's rubbed. called 16 Shop. What? Mm. <laughs> Shopping for shoes. What is the sixteen? Not important. Okay. Um <laughs> I am just gonna move on. So <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> In May, researchers at McAfee noticed a new slew of Amazon fishing pages that looked to be closely related to the old 16 Shop Apple activity. Um, in addition, a Facebook group belonging to the actor likely behind 16 Shop changed their profile picture to one that was reminiscent of Apple's logo, um, further suggesting that Amazon is the next target of this particular fishing kit after Apple. It's a little Apple.
1: brash of them, isn't it?
2: Quite bold. Well... I will get into it in a bit, but they have reason to be bold. We'll just cliffhanger that one, and you can hear about it in a few minutes. (laughs) So before we get
0: to Emily's cliffhanger, what are some key components of this fishing kit?
2: Well, it um, seems to originate in Indonesia, and it's made by a hacker who goes by the handle devil scream there's literally no way for me to say that handle without a very dramatic voice behind it so um devil scream
1: excellent
2: Ooh. excellent
1: that wasn't really screaming though actually that's fine it was just kind of like <laughs> grunting
2: i feel like if i don't know i feel like this particular type of scream wouldn't be like a I
1: don't yeah know, a loud shrieky one yeah right
2: more like a bellow mm. devil bellow <laughs> like i don't know it doesn't quite work though <laughs> anyways um It can handle multiple languages, including English and Japanese, of course, but also Spanish, German, and I saw several other languages as well that I was not immediately able to pick out.
1: Klingon? Klingon?
2: No, unfortunately, no Klingon. No Elvish either. Um, Slackers. (laughs) um, Once it steals credentials, it emails them back to the threat actor, but in addition, it also stores a local copy of them in plain text. Um, McAfee's blog noted that this was... uh, not ideal as then anybody could access those credentials but I agree uh wholeheartedly but I'd also just like to point out that this isn't exactly unique to 16 shop I very 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 frequently very very frequently see phishing kits that you can just like with very minimal effort get to a um like a text file containing all of the credentials and all of the information they've stolen so that's just kind of
1: how? Seems to be business as usual.
2: Yeah, exactly. The version that was just released in May includes a backdoor that sends all the data to the kit author via Telegram. But because this is so different from the original functionality of the kit, McAfee has, or the researchers at McAfee have uh, speculated that this may have been added by a second actor and not the original author of this um, particular kit, Devil Scream. So maybe Devil Bellow. Devil Bellow. I think so. Yeah. The
0: sequel. So um, another technical tidbit that McAfee gets into is uh, basically how did the threat actor generate the malicious PDF associated with the phishing kit?
2: Yeah, um, the author used a conversion site, pdfcrowd.com, to create the malicious file. Um, So it wasn't like, again, it's not something that they are necessarily having to be super technical. It's kind of interesting to see how these tools... What You're telling me they're not so... You You, the look on your face, you were just like... It was
1: almost alarming.
2: (laughs) So excited (laughs) to say that. And then we heard it and it
1: was It was
2: like a three alarm pun there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, these tools that are really useful for legitimate purposes for people who aren't super technical or just making life easier and even faster for people who are technical, how they can be used nefariously for individuals who then go on to make, you know, Malicious phishing emails out of this, so just kind of interesting to note how everything good can be used badly, and everything is sad. Some silver lining for today. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the world of infosec, where everything is sad. <laughs> <laughs> so, Emily, you mentioned that the phishing kit originated in Indonesia,
0: and maybe getting back to our cliffhanger here, do they know then who the who is behind the kit, other than this idea of you know devil scream?
2: Yeah, so this is indeed the cliffhanger. Um, McAfee did a little bit of looking into this particular individual, Devil Scream, and you know, could identify that they lived in Indonesia and that they'd likely done this before. But uh, I came across a Twitter thread where phishing AI has completely identified who this person is, has pictures of them, knows their name, has a picture of them with their mom. Like, there's no question at all who this person is, and I um, don't know necessarily if I should say it on the podcast, but...
1: It's Kelsey LaBelle.
2: (laughs) Oh, my. Ah. (laughs) But the the interesting thing is, one of the ways that they were able to be identified is that they have, if you look in their you know, text file containing all the credentials, they have some test emails in there. And the email address they use, not only is it their own email address, it's their name. So it would be like if I tested my phishing kit, which I don't have one, but if I tested a phishing kit with like emilyhacker at email dot, like, what? Plus one <laughs> at Gmail. Right. <laughs> and so like the the cliffhanger that I want to get back to here is that like there's like, this guy has nothing to worry about. There's no justice coming his way. Every, like we know who he is, literally His name is on the fishing kit, his, like, real name. There's no one that is making an effort to...
1: To prosecute this. Prosecute. That's the word I couldn't
2: think of. They can't prosecute. And so um, it's just interesting that, in my opinion, it's interesting that this is something that's running so rampant and is not just unique to this fishing kit. I feel like I'm ranting a little bit now and off topic, but I just find that so interesting that I, I can't think of any other, like, physical or any other type of crime, where we could say, like, oh, yeah, well, we know for a fact that it was Joe Blow who broke into the Seven Eleven, and he's just going to get away with it. Just lock up your 7 guys, because Joe Blow might come by. Like, it's just so odd. Okay, well, let's,
0: let's get right then into the hoodie rating, and Emily, I'll start with you. What, what would you rate this at?
2: I put this as a 2 out of 10, but I also was, like, kind of almost thinking about a, a 1. But because... um this apparently has been successful. I'm just going to bump it up to a two. I, this is not, this is like every phishing email and every phishing kit out there. And there are so many of them. And of course, I guess like I shouldn't be like numb to the fact that there's so many of them that I give it a low rating. But I think that if you follow the, at this point, literally age old security advice of don't open attachments from emails you're not expecting. Don't click on links and emails. Or if Apple or Amazon are emailing you to say, hey, there's some suspicious account activity. Don't click on the link in the email. Go open your browser and type in amazon.com and go to your account. Because if they're emailing you about activity, I pretty much guarantee you'll be able to get to whatever page they wanted you to directly from their site without clicking on a link. And more than likely, that would not be something they'd be emailing you about in the first place. So if you just follow that advice, this isn't going to, to really affect you. It's just, it's just more of the same that we've seen for the last thirty years, you know. So I'm right. just gonna, gonna give it a two out of ten. What about you, Tim?
1: I'm in the number that popped into my head was exactly it was two also. Um I think the reason this made news was more just because it's interesting knowing about the provenance of these phishing emails and that it was, you know, and the latest work from this same uh, kit author, and not that there was anything particularly innovative about the phishing that they're doing. I think it's a pretty low grade thing. I could even probably be talked down to a one also on this one. Don't click those links, people.
0: Don't drink and click. <laughs> so the the final article here is the Karma Initiative. So cyber criminals are using the notoriety of Deep Nude app to distribute info stealing malware and campaigns over YouTube that promise a cracked premium version of the program for Windows. Android, and iOS. So this was initially discovered by a security researcher who goes by Frost on Twitter. So, Tim, briefly, if you can provide us with a description and history, if you will, of this, this particular app.
1: Well, brief is actually an understatement since the point of this app is uh, to go beyond brief, to do something no one should ever do. Let's and what, what you I think I'll do here is just say that this app was designed to allow people to modify photos of other people in ways that the name of the app, Deep Nude, kind of hints at.
0: So Tim briefly gave us a description of what the original app that's no longer available legitimately on the web is used for.
1: Technically, I sort of avoided giving a description of it, but I <laughs> I kind right. of alluded to it. A-nuded? Let your Sorry. imagination uh, <laughs> take it from there.
0: Yes, there you go. <laughs> But Emily, can you give, or I, I should ask, Emily, do you have any thoughts on the malware that was deployed when somebody was downloading what they thought to be, what purported to be the deep nude app?
2: Yeah. So the malware in this case um, seems to be something called QLab, Um and QLab is designed to steal information from your browser, such as your browser history, any credentials you may have uh, entered, as well as from other programs. So if you use Discord or Steam, it can pull credentials from there as well. Um, in this case, it was being downloaded from malicious links in YouTube videos that, as Kelsey, you mentioned, were claiming to have free copies of this app. So let's go right into the, the hoodie-goody rating. I'm
0: curious to hear, based on what you both said, where you sit...
1: Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm going to say it's it's zero hoodies. <laughs> and the reason I'm going to say that is that let's put it this way. If you're an organization who had someone that was using deep nude on corporate uh, equipment, like probably you don't want to have that employee anymore. So they got owned. Okay, that's that is potentially a problem for your company. But now you're done with that employee, hopefully. So uh, that aspect of the problem goes away. I don't know, it's probably not a zero, but maybe it's like 500 millihoodies hoodies or something. I, it's hard for me to put this at a high hoodie rating, um, given that people who are you know, carrying out their work with integrity aren't going to be exposed to this particular uh, risk.
0: What about you, Emily?
2: Yeah, if I separate the malware from the circumstance, I think the malware itself is a little higher than zero. Um, just because if you do end up with this malware on your corporate network, it's not good. You know, it can steal credentials um, and history or whatever. But as Tim mentioned, if you are a um, working in a SOC at a company and you see someone has this malware in their machine, um, go back and see how they got it, <laughs> and then if you see that it came from this, hand that user right over to your legal team and say adios because this is disgusting. So I think that including the circumstance, part of me wants to give it a goodie just because I...
1: I know. I was kind of in that realm also.
2: It's like malware is bad, but the it could lead to something good in that these bad people get some punishment for this. So that's like a good thing. So... I think I'm going to go with zero hoodies, though, just to cancel out because... Your neutral stance between the two
0: realities that you're dealing with there. That makes complete sense. Well, that's all the the article sets that we have for today. And um, I believe all three of us actually are going to be at summer camp this year. Mm -hmm. And so we invite all of you if you would like to... uh, We have a party on Thursday if you want to come hang out there. Um, But additionally, if you want to go grab a drink, discuss the podcast, be on the podcast, do feel free to reach out. You can either contact uh, myself, which is just Kelsey at DomainTools.com, K-E-L-S-E-Y at DomainTools.com. Or you can go ahead and tweet at us, and we'd be happy to speak with you, and we hopefully look forward to seeing all of you there.
1: See you at summer camp.
2: See you there.
0: That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at DomainTools. All of the articles mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at blog.domaintools.com. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's it for this week. We'll see you again next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.